Welcome to the market sponsored by the CME Group. Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona, Friday, September 28th. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson for our weekly get-together for a look at markets all the way from Wall Street to the wheat fields and to the livestock feedlots. We do this every week. But with Halloween now just a month away, before this broadcast comes to an end, I'm going to tell you where in the United States we grew the largest pumpkin And you may be surprised at how big that pumpkin got to be before it was harvested. So that's coming up. But first of all, let's take a look at Wall Street with all the turbulence going on politically and geopolitically. We ended the week, the month, and the quarter on a very quiet note, really. Wall Street ended flat as gains by Intel, real estate companies, and utilities offset a drop in Facebook after the social media network disclosed a security breach. The S&P 500 lost just half a percent for the week, but for the third quarter, it was up a little more than 7%. That's its best quarterly performance since the fourth quarter of 2013. But Facebook dropped 2.5% for the session after it said it discovered a security issue affecting about 50 million accounts, and its loss weighed more than any other stock on the S&P 500. Intel jumped 3% the biggest boost on the three major indices after the chipmaker said it was optimistic it would meet its full-year revenue target. Smaller rival advanced micro devices tumbled five and a quarter percent. The Philadelphia SE Semiconductor Index gained two-thirds of a percent, also boosted by NVIDIA's five percent jump on bullish comments in the market today. And the day started with concern over Italy, because Italy is weighing on people's minds as to where they want to be. And Italy's new government proposed a 2019 budget with a deficit three times bigger than the previous administration. That sparked a sell-off in European stock markets and a drop in U.S. Treasury yields. So let's take a look at the day. The Dow ended seven hundredths of a percent higher at 26,458. The S&P 500 essentially unchanged for the day at 29.13. The Nasdaq composite added five hundredths of a percent to 8,046. Helping sentiment today was Commerce Department data showing consumer spending rose steadily in August, while inflation stayed at the Federal Reserve's 2% target. And one analyst said the theme of today is a continuation of solid economic numbers as investors make comfortable positions ahead of the next quarter. With the third quarter now wrapped up, investors will begin to focus on corporate financial reports due out in the next few weeks. And bolstered by a growing economy, deep corporate tax cuts, and increased stock buybacks, 
S&P 500 companies are expected to report earnings per share up 21% over the year before. But on the downside today, Tesla down about 14%, its worst day since November of 2013. And the reason? U.S. regulators sued Chief Executive Elon Musk, accusing him of fraud in a lawsuit that seeks to remove him as CEO, which could make it difficult for the loss-making electric car maker to raise more capital. So that's what happened today, besides everything that's been happening in Washington, D.C. this week. So let's look ahead to next week. Attention will shift to September's employment report next Friday. Labor Department expected to report that non-farm payrolls increased by 185,000 jobs in September after rising 201,000 in August. And the unemployment rate expected to fall a tenth of a percentage point to 3.8%. At the same time, average hourly earnings are seen increasing three hundredths of a percent after rising four hundredths percent in August. Data on Thursday from the Labor Department expected to show initial claims for state unemployment benefits falling to an adjusted 210,000 during the week ended September 29th. That would be down from 214,000 in the prior week. And on Friday, the Commerce Department likely to report the trade deficit widened to $53.1 billion in August, driven by declining soybean exports. Major automakers will report new vehicle sales data for September on Tuesday. And after a surprisingly strong month for sales in September of 2017, when many thousands of flood-damaged vehicles were replaced in the wake of Hurricane Harvey, sales this year are expected to be down roughly 6 to 8%. And then there are other earnings reports that will be getting attention next week. PepsiCo will report results for the third quarter on Tuesday. In that last earnings report, under the stewardship of Indra Nooyi, investors will keep close watch for any sign of recovery in the company's soda business. Costco Wholesale Corporation expected to post on Thursday an increase in fourth quarter revenue and same-store sales, helped by membership growth, lower prices, and increasing increased footfall in the United States. Fed presidents are going to be very busy next week. All of them will be on the road addressing various economic meetings as they cover the country with their appearances. Constellation Brands will release its second quarter earnings on Thursday, an increase in demand for the company's high-end beers, including the recently launched Corona, Familiar, and Premier expected to boost its quarterly revenue and profit. And then, coming out of the uh, troubled housing industry, home builder Lennar Corporation expected to report an increase in profit and revenue, boosted by strong demand for housing, but there have been concerns about a slowdown as mortgage rates continue to inch up 
and affordability declines, and investors will look for the company's updates on its financial forecast and any comments on the impact of Hurricane Florence. So it will be a fairly busy week while the earnings report season is not in full activity. Looking at some of the highlights this week, the uh, uh, U.S. consumer spending increased steadily in August, supporting expectations of solid economic growth in the third quarter, while a measure of underlying inflation remained at the Federal Reserve's 2% target for a fourth straight session. The Commerce Department said consumer spending, which accounts for more than two-thirds of U.S. economic activity, rose three-tenths of a percent last month. And, of course, an eye uh, continues to watch the tariff situation that's going on. Uh, Not a surprise at this next story. The largest U.S. oil trade association urged President Trump today to halt any plans to lift a ban on summer sales of higher ethanol blends of gasoline and to impose tighter trading restrictions on biofuel credits, saying such a move would be unfair to consumers. You don't have to guess where that opposition came from. The American Petroleum Institute and the Institute said Trump would need to disappoint a key energy constituency in order to move forward with the plan to help Midwestern farmers by expanding sales of corn-based ethanol ahead of the <clears throat> November congressional elections. The president has repeatedly said he wants a win-win solution to the nation's controversial biofuels policy, which has support from both the rival corn and oil industries. And as a part of the E15 deal, the White House is considering imposing restrictions on trading of biofuel credits in an effort to discourage speculation and reduce costs for oil refiners to comply with U.S. biofuels policy. This is an argument that will go on forever, the argument between biofuels and the oil industry. Well, we're going to talk agriculture when we continue here. Max Armstrong sits down with one of our interesting market analysts when we continue here on the markets sponsored by the CME Group. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence.
It's always good to have Brian Basting with us from Advanced Trading in Bloomington, Illinois. Welcome back this weekend, sir. Thanks, Max. Always good to be with you. I bet there's a cloud of dust over that region around Bloomington, Illinois. Farmers have been making rapid progress in the harvest with big crop yields reported. Am I correct? You are correct. We've seen a really rapid start to the corn harvest, Max, and we are hearing, generally speaking, some really exceptional corn yields. Uh, Just a few fields of beans taken out so far, but uh, I imagine when we get into October, especially, those will go fast. But early corn yields have been surprisingly strong. What have you heard from some of the growers? What have they shared with you in terms of the the top yields? Well, I think uh, maybe a comparison would be best. We had record yields last year, for example, in McLean County, and those yields are being uh, uh, broached this year to the upside. Uh, we're being, seeing some numbers that are five or ten bushels above that. Uh, again, not universal. There are some cases where, you know, uh, this and that, uh, maybe trim those yields back a bit. But, uh, again, it's a small sample so far, but uh, so far I've been very pleased. I have heard that the piles of corn are already visible out across the countryside. That's true. They're just starting here, of course. And, and when you look at those yields, Max, and you look at the carryover supply we have compared to the last couple of years, particularly our carryover supply of soybeans, that we're really looking at a storage crunch if these yields from USDA are realized. How many of those elevator facilities did not get cleared out ahead of harvest? Did you guys have any feel for that? Did you do any research on that? I'm just curious how much was left around sitting out there in country elevators. I don't have a real good feel for that. I think uh, one of the challenge areas, I'm sure you and your listeners know, is is the northern plains at the moment with with the soybean situation, for example, up in North Dakota. That may be more of a a real big challenge up there uh, compared to the the heart of the Corn Belt. But uh, we're really going to test the the storage capacity uh, this fall if these yields are realized. That map, when you take a look. Of the soybean basis up in that area, it's brutal, isn't it? It's it's what a buck and a quarter under Chicago in some places there. Yeah, it's really difficult, Max. We're in some historically weak basis levels here, of course, with the, basically the effective termination, at least short term, of the PNW program for soybeans to China. Pacific Northwest uh, shipments. Yeah. Pacific Northwest shipments to China, of course, effectively with the trade issues have been halted. I'll use that word. Maybe it's a better word. Hopefully we, we get those started again at some point. But all those beans are backing up now into that area. Yeah. That is not the only place with a soft basis, though, right? I mean, while it's dramatically lower there, if you look at a wide swath of the central part of the United States, the basis is substantially lower than usual, is it not? It is. It's almost a bit of a snowball effect there when you look at the the storage capacity being strained here. Um, again, the soybean export program... Uh, way down from what it was and what it will be uh, from this time last year, uh, and a big harvest coming on here. A multitude of things are coming together here to really um, pressure the cash markets. It will not slow the harvest, will it? I mean, if the producer has the opportunity to get in the field and it looks like the weather is cooperating, this could be a rather rapid harvest. When you look at the corn maturity, Max, we're looking at one of the fastest uh, paces of corn maturity we've seen since the drought of 2012. And, of course, that was weather stress-induced, whereas this is just a very rapid planting pace this spring, a very rapid development with warm temperatures this summer. I think the corn could be one of the fastest harvests we've seen, weather permitting. And, of course, the soybeans are ready to come off now, too, again, weather permitting uh, across the Midwest. Does that add pressure, then, to the market as well with all of this crop coming in? It does. It does. I think that the market's feeling that. Again, as you highlighted, the cash market is feeling it more so. Uh, where are we going to put the crop? How is it going to get tucked away? I think the warehouse industry has done a 
terrific job of preparing for this harvest. But again, there's always surprises here that no one can anticipate that there may prove to be some challenges. I know some private elevator operators who added to their storage in just the past year, and one told me personally, I'm glad we did, because he said, as, as you echoed earlier, the yields are going to be fantastic in, around him. Again, hats off to the, to the warehouse industry, Max. They have done a terrific job, not only just recently, but as you said, with the trend in soybean and corn yields accelerating here the last two to three years, they've anticipated what's going on here, and, and I think that the, uh, the industry is, is as prepared as they can be. We're operating under a very uncertain scenario. We don't have many comparisons with what is going on now, given the, the trade war with China. But is there the possibility with this rapid harvest that the lows of this harvest season could be put in fairly early that they once the crop comes in and then we might actually see a bounce later on as the harvest progresses? That's certainly a possibility. I think that, that as you make a great point initially, we're in uncharted territory here. So I think we've got to keep an open mind about what these markets can do. Price prediction is impossible. What we've got to do is keep a close eye on, the, on these uh, political developments as well as the fundamental developments. And as a producer, I'd encourage your listeners to really uh, get control of these bushels for 2018, still looking at a potentially very high revenue when you multiply the bushels times the price. And that, that uh, is something to seriously look at protecting. Take that a little bit farther. How do you suggest the grower go about that? We really encourage growers to think about gross revenue. Now, for example, the soybean price is much lower than it's been in recent years. However, the soybean yields are much higher than they've been in recent years. So you multiply that yield times that price, your gross revenue is still quite attractive. And if you add on that market uh, facilitation program payment on top of that, then you're looking at, at a, a basically a a revenue situation that's it's solid in many cases, and in some cases actually quite good. But you must protect that price because the price can go lower from where it is today. And you encourage we'd encourage your listeners to think about an option strategy, lock in a floor for that uh, production, uh, maybe a cash sale and a purchase of a call option, several strategies to consider to get a floor underneath those markets. The clock is ticking here. Between now and the midterm election, the beginning of November, if nothing happens in a positive way on the trade front and we get past that Tuesday in November, does the market scenario look even more bleak with the belief that nothing is going to happen near term in these trade disputes? Some of it will be contingent, I think, on, on what happens, starts to happen in South America. For example, we're starting to hear now that there's an early planting season. Yeah, they're ahead of a year ago in putting beans into Brazil, right? You bet. And I think that's a very important point from this standpoint, is that Brazil uh, basically will take away the U.S. market, all, all things being equal, about the first of, first of March, definitely by the first of April. However, that could happen earlier if they get planted earlier this fall and that crop comes off earlier, for example, in January. That narrows that window where China will not have to come to the U.S. Uh, but right now, it still looks like, like at some point, if you believe that, that, that China is going to be uh, using the same type of rations, for example, for their hogs, they will have to come to the U.S. Uh, at some point here this winter. But again, that window narrows if the Brazilian supply from next year becomes available earlier. If it became early available in January, that would be quite early, wouldn't it? I mean, that's a good, what, 45 days ahead of normal? That would be the very earliest. I don't want to paint the picture right. that they'll be shipping out boats on the 15th of January. However, if that, that uh, first uh, uh, boats are shipped out 
the 10th of February, that would still be earlier than normal, and that would, again, narrow that window uh, that U.S. would have to supply Chinese needs. They will be boosting their soybean acres. Will we be cutting ours in the United States come spring, and how much? All indications we've picked up so far, albeit uh, uh, we're just getting ready to start to harvest these 2018 crops, is that the 2019 acreage mix will look different. Uh, we're looking at the possibility of a significant decrease in, in soybean acres. What, maybe 2 million, 3 I've, million? I've heard as much as 5 million acres of beans, but again, not carved in stone. A lot can change between now right. and, and the 1st of May, of course, But um, and an increase in corn acres uh, in 2019. But again, uh, those decisions will be made over the next six months, but right now, the economics today, I think, are favoring corn. Your growers cannot afford to get lackadaisical, can they? I mean, in terms of their marketing, they need to stay very astute with what's going on in the world and stay in contact with people such as yourself who consult with them. Yeah, very important point because I think, for example, in 2019 corn, right now the 2019-18-19 corn market, the export market is quite strong. We're seeing real good sales and shipments. However, a lot of that's due to the short crops that Brazil and Argentina had this spring. If we fast forward one year from now, for example, in Brazil and Argentina corn production were to recover in the spring of 19, our exports one year from now would could look quite bleak, and that would be on top of more corn acres. So we're encouraging growers not only to think about 2018 corn bushels, look at that 2019 corn crop, how to protect that, and there's some flexible strategies out there that they can consider. The corn situation, the world supply-demand situation, is probably just one weather hiccup away from improving substantially, is it not, Brian? It is, and I think we saw that earlier this year, Max, when we had the drought in Argentina, when we had the drought for the Safrinha crop in Brazil, the corn market did respond, moving into Memorial Day with a pretty good rally, over $4 at least on the board. But when it became clear that we were looking at a combination of exceptional yields here in 2018 for corn and, of course, the trade issues, then, of course, the market fell apart again. But we're looking at exceptional strong, exceptionally strong world demand. These low prices we've seen these last four years from 2014 to 2018 have grown our demand base, not only domestically in the U.S. with ethanol and our recovery in the livestock poultry, but worldwide that demand base has grown. So, yes, a hiccup worldwide could send these markets higher. Now, with soybeans going in early in Brazil, if this continues to be a, an ahead-of-normal soy planting season there, would that then suggest greater-than-normal Safrinha corn acreage down there? A very good point. I would agree with that, is that those Safrinha corn acres do go in after the completion of that harvest in northern Brazil, which, again, as you point out, typically would occur probably around that 1st of February time period. Safrinha corn is planted in that window from about the 1st of February to the 1st of March. But if the uh, beans come off early in January, that would impress, plus the currency relationships with the reality of the dollar, those types of things, today those things do favor more Safrinha corn acres uh, in 2019. And again, last year, the year they, we just finished, they had a drought. If they were to recover, that could add to the supply. I know this is a tough question, but knowing how large this trade issue looms over the market, what's it worth if we get some news here uh, in the next few weeks that this dispute with China is being resolved and the trade will resume? What does that do to the market? I think it would be supportive. I think How it, much? Uh, Any it's, idea? It's hard to say. I mean, I think any time you look at the soybean market being the most... Uh, supported, obviously, because of the of the trade we have them. But but I think anytime you're looking at this type of volatility, we really encourage your listeners to think about flexibility rather than just make a sale. For example, make a sale, but 
lock that floor in, but use a call option to leave that upside open in case we do get a resolution to this trade issue and or we have a problem in South America this winter. To leave yourself some flexibility, you're saying? Yes, I think flexibility is the key word for 2018. But first of all, the first key word is get control of those bushels, get a floor in place. Because if you have no floor in place, you have vulnerable, you're vulnerable to lower prices, particularly after the crop insurance period ends at the end of October. Brian, thank you. Always good to see you. Always good to be with you, Max. Brian Basting, Advance Trading. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. Before I go any further, let me answer the largest pumpkin question that I started the program with. Where is it grown and how big is it? Well, a man in New Hampshire has grown a pumpkin that appears to be the largest in the nation. An organization that serves as the worldwide governing body for pumpkin growing contests, says Steve Geddes of Boscawen squashed the competition across North America with his prize winner weighing in at 2,528 pounds. That's more than a ton. The Great Pumpkin Commonwealth told the Boston Globe that a pumpkin grown by Geddes is the biggest pumpkin ever grown in North America. And the pumpkin this week at the Deerfield Fair earned Geddes a first place ribbon and $6,000 in prize money. Again, the weight, 2,528 pounds. And they don't tell me how many pumpkin pies that would make, but (laughs) quite a few. The uh, grain stocks report that came out today, uh, both the uh, estimates for soybean harvest was raised from previously, and the soybean corn stocks figures came in above expectations. What did some of the traders say? Jack Scoville with the Price Futures Group said it's going to be considered a little bit of a negative report. We're going to see some selling in the beans because people were already bearish about demand anyway. Alan Suderman said USDA raising the size of last year's soybean crop certainly doesn't help put in a bottom or confirm a bottom. Every time we turn around, we tend to get some bearish news on soybeans, and that has certainly been the case. And uh, as we take a look at the uh, closing prices for the week, at the Mercantile Exchange, lean hog futures were higher with the most active December hogs, moving up $2.40 a hundredweight to end the week at $57.92. The October live cattle contract gained $0.40 a hundredweight for the day and ends the week at $113.45. The November feeder cattle contract gained $0.42, ending the week at $158 plus a nickel. 
So that's where the livestock activity ended. That pig crop report didn't contain any major surprises on Thursday. And uh, the uh, grain stocks report probably surprised a little bit on the soybeans. And then uh, at the Board of Trade, the December wheat contract ended at $5.09 a bushel, down two and a half. The December corn ended at three fifty-six and a quarter, down eight and a quarter, and November soybeans ended down ten and three quarters at eight forty-five and three quarters a bushel. Looking ahead to next week, very quickly, World Dairy Expo, the biggest gathering of dairy industry folks in Madison, Wisconsin, starts Tuesday, goes through next Saturday. I'll be there Wednesday and hope to see many of you there. That's our time. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson saying thank you for joining us on The Market, sponsored by the CME Group.